wait, let's see if I can find where I am. There we are. Okay, uh, I said we were going to be done this week. One more week. One more week after this, I promise we'll be done. Uh, so it'll be all the way through February. Because uh, what I hope to do is get through Babel today, and then next week just kind of recap on why was this even a thing? Why did we bother spending what would have amounted to about seven or eight months if you strung all the time together uh, in Genesis? Uh, even now I'm in a discussion with somebody who goes, well, I don't know if I really believe all that. It's like, and that's what you have to come to terms with. Are you going to believe all that? And what is the impact of whether or not I do or don't believe all that? So, um, last week we looked at the flood. Uh, we looked at leading up to the flood, there was a flood of sin. Sin was rampant on the world as everyone, as Judges says, does what was right in their own eyes. And that was, that was the flood, or the, the, the situation before the flood. And we looked at God's judgment on the earth, on all of the earth, on all living things on the earth, and God saw fit to destroy it all except for Noah and his family. Noah and his, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. No children are spoken of at that time. Were there some there? It says that eight went on to the ark, so I would say no based on that at that point. Were there some born on the ark? Maybe. Don't know. Doesn't say. Um, Noah, or excuse me, God also in his judgment stated that man was going to be limited in his lifespan. It's not going to abide with man up to 900 years. Done. Okay. To dust he shall return, 120 years is going to be the boundary that he gave there. And as we see today, uh, I don't know of any who have lived past that. Maybe a scant one or two few live past that. But you hear maybe in the hundreds and teens, 110 and so. We finished up last week looking at evidences for the flood, for this worldwide flood. Um, and some people still would argue that it was localized. Um, having been uh, a pilot in the past, uh, one of the greatest testimonies I see to the flood is simply looking down at the earth from on high, where you can see massive things having happened to the earth. And one of them is the Grand Canyon. Um, the Grand Canyon is huge. The Grand Canyon is extraordinary. And the thing that's really amazing about the Grand Canyon is as you drive up to it, man, it's flat as a pancake, other than the one volcano up by Flagstaff there. Uh, as you drive, you're driving across plains, 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 and all of a sudden, holy cow. I mean, it's just, it's sudden. It is right there. And you look across, and, uh, Sam Sarkey, one of the guys who uh, meets with us on Saturday mornings, he and some other friends 
uh, hiked across it one day from north end to south end in a day. Got up in the dark and hiked across the Grand Canyon from north rim to south rim. It's a long way. There are miles across there. But it, it's stark. And when you look at the sides of the Grand Canyon, you can follow the strata, the layers of rock, like all the way across. I mean, there are all of these, again, and I'm not a geologist, but they're, they're sandstones, they're sedimentary rocks that were put down in layers. But here is this big gouge through all of it. So all of these layers were put down <coughs> before the canyon went through. And it took out all of that. Now, we talk about, well, if they, um, evolutionists would say it was the erosion of the Colorado River. Okay? Anybody seen the Colorado River as it goes through the canyon? Ginormous? Yeah, no. Not really. Not really. It's pretty small. You go, that's a little bitty river to do that much work. And if it's a river, if it's, if it's that size, it is going to, assuming it's cutting straight, it's going to cut a very narrow swath, maybe over time, eons of time, the erosion would then round out these edges to something like this instead of like this. What could cause that big gouge in the earth to cut through all of that rock and leave such an enormous canyon? Lots of water. And quickly. Quickly. And what we, we saw something like this created after Mount St. Helens blew. Mount St. Helens blew and all of the ash and sediment comes raining down on the earth and plugs up the rivers and lakes around there. And you get all of the snow melt coming off of Mount St. Helens. So you've got this humongous amount of water. This torrent breaks through and cuts a little Grand Canyon. I mean, it's not nearly as big, but you can see the sedimentary layers. You can go online, look at photographs for the little canyon that came out of Mount St. Helens. And you can see something very similar to that on a much smaller scale. The power of water, gobs of water, pushing through sediment at a particular time. And so I would argue one of the greatest testimonies to the flood and the, the magnitude of it is the Grand Canyon. Uh, a lot of the formations up in southern Utah uh, with arches and uh, Bryce Canyon and the like also. Uh, point to those kinds of things. But anyway, so there are, there are evidences out there that this flood was not a localized Mesopotamian flood, but that it uh, affected uh, large parts of the continent. Didn't even get into the canyons that are within the ocean uh, as well. So those are other things you can look into. A cool one in eastern Washington called Dry Falls. And their claim to fame is it's bigger than Niagara Falls, but at a Prehistoric time, mm. it was a, uh, nothing but a 
flip in a giant river, and then like you go across eastern Washington, be plains and plains and plains, and then a giant boulder that this river just threw like a pebble. Yeah. And then just like you said, from the sky, you look down, it looks like the bottom of a riverbed. Yeah. All right, so what we're going to do today is we're going, to, we're going to look at what happened coming off of the ark. Okay, we looked at a little bit last time, uh, God mentioning at the end of chapter 9 that the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, but even so, God is going to never again, we'll learn, send another flood, but he tells Noah, that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, night and day shall not cease. The seasons will continue, and every now and then we'll get snow. Um, chapter 9 and verse 1. Katie, would you read chapter 9, verse 1, please? And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Okay, is this a new thing? No. It's a reiteration of the original commandment given to man in Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. When did God rescind that command? Never. Didn't. Didn't. And so we are still exhorted as his creatures to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Okay, to have dominion over it. So this command, you know, we look, and it's just a few chapters, but if you look at the lifespans in, stated in chapter 5, it's actually 1,600 years later. God reiterates this command, and it is for his glory. That the image, of, image bearers of God would procreate and fill the earth with little pictures of his glory and shine his glory throughout. This is restated in chapter 7 also in case they missed it. You be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Okay, so God gives Noah and his folks uh, the original command, but we see also here that the earth itself is uh, going to be changed. Royal, would you read uh, verses two through four, please? Sir, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, its blood. Good. Okay. So, have we heard about the animals being skittish toward man before this? Noah was to bring animals of every kind onto the ark. So did they have to set up uh, really cool cages to trap the lions and the leopards so that they don't get mauled by them? No. 
They didn't have to. Because it, according to God's word, if we read it plainly, it wasn't a thing. There wasn't a problem between the animal kingdom and man. I won't, won't say problem, but there wasn't kind of a fear, tension. There. But God tells them at this point now, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. So, how many animals naturally run up to man in the wild? Grizzlies, okay. <laughs> Grizzlies might do it. <laughs> but, but even so, I mean, most animals are, are going to, whoa, hey, well, they, they just run away. Even though we're scared to death of them, spiders. Snakes, I mean, snakes aren't necessarily going to just pounce on you. They'll, they'd be much happier not being a part of you. And so we see this in the world around us, that there is this dread. Birds aren't naturally going to land on your finger like a Disney movie. Um, true of the fish in the sea as well. I don't know if you've ever been snorkeling and tried to reach out your hand and touch a fish. Most won't bite you. They will just skitter away. But all the birds in the air and the creatures on the ground are still under man's dominion. Notice the end of verse 2. Into your hand they are delivered. All the animal kingdom is under the stewardship of mankind. That hasn't changed. Again, that goes back to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, an interesting point, though, is in verse 3. What shall be man's food? Every including what? Including plants. Yeah, inclu including plants. So was this a thing before? The plants were. The plants were. And, and again... <laughs> Oops. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29 through 30, this is very intriguing as we take God at his word. God said, behold, in chapter 1, verse 29, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in it in its fruit. You shall have them for food. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. What did the animals eat before the flood? Green food. Green food. All of them? What about carnivores? <coughs> Sarah. So then why why did Abel raise livestock and his brothers and his offering to the Lord was acceptable, but Abel's was not? Great question. Milk, cheese, uh, clover. Clo 
accused. Um, yeah, but we know that he was a killer when he was making offerings, right? Yeah. Were they eating them? It doesn't say. Could they have been? Yeah, I, I don't think that's a stretch, but God at that point had not given them the animals for food. The Joseph. translation of the NIV may say it differently than the ESV, but Genesis 9, verse 3, part B says, Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Mm-hmm. Which for me seems pretty clear that generally 99.5% of the time it probably wasn't food. If it was, it didn't have God's blessing. You know, I didn't, I didn't originally give them to you for food. But now I do. Sarah, go ahead. Okay, so I, Please. I'm not necessarily disagreeing, but are you saying, then do you think, I mean, a lion's mouth is just not made for chewing like a cow's. You mean like a panda bear? I don't know. <laughs> it looks if, if you if you were to find the skeleton of a panda bear, you would say it was a carnivore, just like a grizzly bear. But a grizzly bear is an omnivore. It will eat anything. And a black black bear, I think, exclusively eats berries. Yeah. I don't think it eats fish. You know, and you go, you look at the teeth, you go, oh, it's it's gonna. It's, it's got to be, it was, it, was, it was created, it was made, it evolved to eat meat. No, not necessarily the case. And, and so we do see that there are animals with really scary teeth that are plant eaters. Yeah, I mean, the, the, again, the panda bear has teeth like a regular bear, and you go, it's now, what's it eat? It eats bamboo. Bamboo, man. How does it cook it in different ways? I don't know. But also, animals do just change over time. I mean, like we see now, we have all these dog breeds that God did not make a, a schnauzer, but and the same thing could have happened naturally to a point, to a point, and the animals do change over time. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. They do, and we're actually we're going to get to that in Babel here. What were you going to say? Okay. Dogs and cats? No. Uh, poodles and golden retrievers make really cute puppies. They make really cute puppies. But you know what they make? They make dogs. When dogs interbreed, they make dogs. Uh, the most unhealthy dogs are purebreds. Purebreds have joint issues, they're weaker, they live less long than mutts. Why? Because they are breeding a genetic trait on purpose, and we find that that is destructive, as the world is now. We would call that inbreeding, which is why brothers don't marry sisters, okay? because of the huge genetic problems that ensue when you have families interbreeding there. But it obviously wasn't a thing coming off of the ark when all you have is your family right here. More on that here in just a bit.
as we look at that a little bit. Um, but great, Sarah, great questions there. You know, oh, what about how come? And sometimes we're going to have to go, I don't know. But it doesn't say what the animals used for food here, so that's kind of up. Well, back in Genesis chapter 1, yeah. all of the plants were given to the animals for food. So we understand in the original creation, at least in the garden pre-fall, that the animals weren't eating other animals. Exactly. So when did animals start eating other animals? Don't know. But, I give, but now here in verse 3, I give you everything God says. Okay? Um, God's one limit to man was no blood. You may eat animals, you may not eat the blood. So if you kill the animal, drain the blood. God goes on with that. For your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning, an account. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. So, if an animal kills a human being, God, at the very least, is going to hold that animal to account. This is sounding kind of Narnian here. Um, but we see this played out in the law. How is this played out in the law? You need to destroy an animal that takes a human life. You do. If an ox gores and kills a man, you are to kill the ox. You are to kill the ox. If the owner of the ox didn't know his ox was of that nature then that man is innocent. But if this ox has done this in the past, the man's life is now forfeit also. And he must be killed because of his negligence. God holds man to account. God holds animals to account for the life of man. And God even states it plainly. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. In the military, we call this delegation. God is the author of life. God is the sustainer of life. God is the one who knows when man's days will be up and will bring his life to an end in justice. And so we see Man is not to kill. Man is not to murder. In the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. All men are born in sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. And yet, God delegates this responsibility. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to take care of it for you. No. He wants us to see the significant place of man within the creation. And so he delegates this responsibility to us. Look also in chapter 9, verse 6, next verse. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. 
we talked about this earlier when we looked at man being made in God's image and what that entailed and how significant that was. But what kind of things does that impact today? What kind of issues does this impact? That man is made in God's image. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. I mean, you know, abortion is a real issue. Um, was in a discussion, I guess you could say, this week, and. Uh, individual referred to the child in the womb as a tumor, a female, actually, female with children, referred to it as a tumor and a parasite. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's shocking, the language that is used. You're just, you're just cutting out a tumor. I go, what? I go, try and tell that to any woman who has lost a child. Well, you just, you just had a tumor. Know, removed essentially. You go, ah, oh, no. <laughs> they're not they're not gonna buy that. To the woman who wants the child and, and delights in the child in the womb, she's gonna speak of her child. She's not gonna speak of the parasite that's growing within her. This isn't a, a sci-fi movie. This is God's beautiful purpose and plan for continuing his image bearers on the earth. Abortion. There's there's one. What's another one? That's another issue. I could go off on that for a long time. Punishment. Capital punishment, another huge one. This is, this is the justification for capital punishment. This is the reason we have capital punishment. This is why capital punishment is a must. There's a, ironically, um, a week... Two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, um, Albert Moeller um, well, ended up shutting it down. Rats. On the briefing uh, on February 12th, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because he talks about the history of capital punishment in the United States and the biblical argument for capital punishment and how capital punishment is almost natural, had, had been natural within societies up until recently where all of a sudden, boom. The thing that caused him to speak about it was Virginia just outlawed, the Virginia State Legislature has outlawed capital punishment. And you go, why? Why have they? And what are the reasons for it? And there, there are a whole bunch of other issues behind capital punishment, how it's administered, the fact that it takes 10 years, 15 years ultimately to execute somebody. You go, is that just? Is the delay of justice just? Is that cruel and inhuman to have somebody sitting with the sword of Damocles over their head for 15 years? Where you're going, when's this thing going to fall? When is my appeal finally going to not make it? When it? And you're living with that nightmare. Go ahead. I was taught recently on another point that the, that this, the thing about the principle behind this is that my life is equal to your life. And so it establishes an equality that if I take your life, 
I forfeit my right to live. And, and, and if you think about it, almost all law comes from that central point. Uh, my car is the same value to your car. So if you destroy my car, it, it's, a, it's an eye for an eye and it's you, it's you, it's you. So it's, it, almost all law, even modern law, sort of, and maybe a little less, but that, that sense of uh, equality and equal rights uh, amongst one another. That's, that's why our, our study of uh, Frederick Douglass is just, it's, it's, it's a repulsive read. It is a repulsive read to see the inhumanity of man to man. I, I found where the Mueller quote was, and it almost echoes what Joseph was just saying. This is what Mueller said on uh, February 12th. He said, in this covenant, the Noahic covenant here that God's making, uh, God said that when a human being intentionally takes the life of another human being, because he has slain not only a human being, but the image of God, that he forfeits his own life. He or she forfeits his or her own life by deliberately taking another human life, assaulting the image of God. So when we go, oh, you know, well, you know, we're just going to put them in prison. We, we deface the image of God. We show the image of God as not that big a deal when we let this person live. Now, again, if there's shadows of a doubt or anything like that, I mean, capital punishment is severe. And this should not be, I mean, we shouldn't be taking people out in the back alley and shooting them, that kind of thing. Justice is huge. But this is, excuse me, a grave, a grave responsibility that God delegates to man for us. We understand that a person has shown great dishonor to another. And really, this, this statement right here, take it to the Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus Christ say about our interrelationships with other people? What if, what if, I, what if I say Raka? I don't even know what Raka means. But that's the word that was used. If I say Raka to Gavin, Gavin walks in, I go, Raka. And what, is, what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount is, what, I, what have I done? I've, I've murdered him in my heart. When I hate another human being. You know, so these... These, these individuals who are saying, oh, it's a tumor and a parasite, you're just a witch. You're, you're, you know, you should burn in hell for that attitude. Am I any different? No. I should grieve and weep that somebody bearing the image of God would have so little regard for another image bearer. I mean, we should see, we of all people, should see the image of God in man for all those around us. Those who we agree with, those who we disagree with, those who are vile, those who are, are wretched. There's a guy in the New Testament who went about murdering Christians, overseeing their executions. Wretched. 
I'm sure the, the church in Jerusalem was like going, man, you see that guy at the far end of the street, you better duck into an alley. Who was that guy? Paul. Paul. More on that here in a bit. Anyway, so this, this covenant that God makes and gives to man, go all the way back to Noah, from whom, from whom is Noah descended? No. Okay, let me rephrase that. Who descended from Noah? Yes, thank you. Good. Excellent. Yes, everyone. Everyone has. And so this covenant goes to all of us because this is another one of those covenants that hasn't been rescinded. Never been rescinded. So to shirk this responsibility has grave consequences. Moving on. God makes a covenant in verses 8 through 17. God said to Noah, to his sons, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. With every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth, with you as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you in case you missed it. That never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Who does that covenant depend upon? No. Yes. God. This is, you know, there are, there are two-sided covenants. We shake hands. We agree. You do your part. I do my part. Life is good. This isn't one of those covenants. This is my, on my honor, I vow to you that I will do this thing. Or in God's case, I will not do this thing. Never again, never again am I going to destroy the earth with a flood. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you in every living creature that is with you for all and future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen, I keep on to say bow, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature and all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all the earth. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. God's great promise, never again. You know, and it's, it's interesting you know, that I will see it and remember. Like God's going to forget? God needs a day timer? Yeah, no. I will see it and rem God will always remember his covenant. Maybe we will see it, and maybe we will remember his covenant there. I mean, so when we see rainbows, you know, let us remember God's sweet promise. Man will always forget. God will never forget. And so we need such daytimers in God's provision. Okay, anything up to this point? Any questions? Uh, why the, I've, I've always been perplexed why capital punishment is in Genesis 9. So the first question is, why do we think that's there? And then second, uh, why is it different? Or is there a connection to Genesis 4 and the punishment of Cain for killing Abel? That seems to contrast it pretty heavily. 
you would have to get into the mind of God. Because God doesn't make plain. You, you, you see in a lot of ways from Eden to the ark, God has essentially gone, you want your own way? Here it is. And this is what happens when you have your own way. Okay? So at that point, God says, no more. 120 days. That's it. Here's the flood. We're going to destroy the whole thing. We're starting over. And oh, by the way, because of, and there was likely murder and treachery in the time leading up to the ark, now the onus is upon you to hold man accountable to that end. So apart from that, it doesn't, within scripture, we don't, it would be mere conjecture. Moving on, a couple interesting things between flood and Babel. In ba- flood and Babel. Uh, we have an interesting uh, story of Noah's drunkenness. Um, as such, it's not surprising to see just the sin of the flesh um, remaining coming off of the ark. Uh, I'm not going to get into the curse that Noah bestows upon Canaan. Uh, there um, that you might look into that some other time and see what folks believe as far as that goes. Um, In chapter 10, we have, once again, a stating of these are the generations of the sons of Noah. This is one of the reasons I believe strongly that Genesis 1 is history and not poetry. This is how God set up this book. For us to read it in these vignettes of the generations of this particular individual. In this case, we have the generations of Noah in 1 verse 32. Or 1 through 32, the whole chapter. Uh, I'm going to just kind of sweep over this, bringing out some interesting points. You have the three sons of Noah. You've got Japheth. You've got Shem, and you've got Ham. I'm going to draw the Mediterranean Sea like right here. Probably up in Ararat, you know, did western, eastern Turkey. Is that where the ark came to rest? That's where Mount Ararat is today. Is it the same one? I don't know. Don't know where the ark is. But if you look through, if you read through, you see that the peoples that came from Japheth essentially populated those areas from this point in space. Uh, Gog and Magog, up in, those are in Russia and off into Europe. And you see a continuity in the peoples of that region. Okay, looking more probably like me. Okay. Shem ends up going off this way. And Japheth may have gone like this as well, around the mountains to the north and populated across North Russia. And Ham, you see, coming this way. Notice in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 10, the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Okay, all these places... You know, essentially spreading out, and you can ignore my Grand Canyon here, across North Africa. 
Okay? And they're not saying here that they went there necessarily, um, but they're just giving the lineages and, and a few things of note to go, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Notice down in verse 25 of chapter 10. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in, the, his, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. How was the earth divided in the days of Peleg? Possibly about the time of the Tower of Babel when people were going in different directions because they couldn't understand each other. Okay. Any other... How do you mean? How could that be? I think the term of one... Just a second. Pangea? Does it really look like South America fit into Africa? Really? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't say. All it says is the earth was divided. Could be. Could be the languages. Could be. But ultimately, we see uh, that they, in verse 30, the territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Safar to the hill country of the east. Okay, so again, you get this idea of an easterly vector. So it's, it's, it's an intriguing read there. Uh, you learn about Nimrod. You hear people being called a Nimrod. That's usually a derogatory term, but Nimrod was a great guy. So you say, thank you very much if you ever get called a Nimrod. Whatever. All right. Um, into Babel. At this point, what language was spoken? Thank you. I don't know. Were there different languages? Yeah, probably not. Like, no way. Noah and his family came off the ark, and so you know what they spoke? They spoke Noah. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. You know. So there. It's it's a, a a continuity of language, and language is one of those things that causes scientists fits. Because how many races are there on the earth of human beings? One. One. Thank you very much. There's one race. There's all kinds of ethnicities, but there's one race. But you know something? There are some languages that you go, these don't fit. These languages have no, if we try and trace them back, we go, they don't, they don't connect. They're like completely disparate. I read a couple of articles here. These are, these are interesting. Uh, one person said, the Tower, of Babel is a, the Tower of Babel story is a fanciful attempt to account for a very real question. What was the first language and why are there now so many of them? Okay. At the end of the article, the individual said, Unfortunately, this means that any theory of the first human language must be based on pretty darn flimsy evidence. They have, they have nothing. They, they have no idea what the first language was and how there are these unique languages another theory the origins of human language will perhaps remain forever obscure 
By contrast, the origin of individual languages has been the subject of very precise study over the past two centuries. Very precise studies. But at the end, they go, there are about 500 languages spoken in the world today, but scholars group them together into relatively few families, probably less than 20. So still, you go, okay, there's 20 languages that are going. These, I can't come up with a commonality between them. So for man, we go, we don't understand this. If we are all one kind, how can there be languages that are completely foreign if we all have a common ancestor? Hmm. Go. Go. Maybe it's not a story. Maybe it's history. Maybe it is a reality. So let's dip our toe here into this. We're going to run out of time and we'll finish. I will finish next week, God willing, if I don't, if something doesn't happen to me. Here's, watch it. Uh, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What is the problem with that? I think God told him to scatter over the face he of the whole earth. If I remember, right? He did. Fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they're saying what? No. <laughs> We're not going to. We're going to just stay right here and we're going to build a tower to the heavens and we're going to make a name for ourselves. Sounds like Genesis 6. Yeah. The men, the men of renown. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really interesting here. Man says, I am going to make a name for myself. In the very next chapter, and we're not going to get to this, we're not going to go into Genesis 12. God calls one man and says, I am going to make a name for you. I'm going to make your name great. Now, God, God will do a thing in his purpose, in his time, for his glory. And man goes nuts to you. I'm going to do it myself. And it's, it is a tragic thing. Can I ask a question? Please, dear. So it gives all these generations descended from Noah, and then we have this story of Babel. But it's not like Babel happened at the end of all those generations. Correct. So yeah. do, we, do we have any idea how long after the flood that Babel happens? I would go to verse 25 of chapter 10. So you have Shem... The sons of Shem were Elam, Ashur, and Arpachshad. The sons of Aram, or let's go to Arpachshad. Then Arpachshad had Eber, and Eber during his time. So three generations afterwards, the earth was divided. 
Because it does say throughout the listing of the genealogies, at the end of each son, it says each with his own language by their clans mm -hmm. in their nation. Mm -hmm. Because these are like happening simultaneously. Yes. I was yeah. asking that. Again, the, you, yeah. in Genesis, over, you'll see here are the generations, and here, now we're going to focus in on one point. And then he goes, here are the generations, let's again talk about things in general, and then let's focus on this particular point. Summary and detail. Yes, exactly. Big overview, here, let's zoom in. Big overview, let's zoom in. Genesis 1, big overview, Genesis 2, let's zoom in. Genesis 5, big overview. Genesis 6, Noah, let's zoom in. This is the structure of Genesis and why I believe it is actual history. We're going to stop right there. We're going to go into what happened when God saw this. Was he startled or is God going to do a great and marvelous work in the rebellion of man? That's it. Appreciate your time. Any, any, any 